address what Paul addresses to the church at Colossae and Laodicea and uh, some specific instructions, some um, direction he gives them in encouragement. I'm going to be in chapter 2 and starting with verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 10. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their heart may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore, or as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of man according to the base principles of the world and not according to christ for in him dwells all the fullness of the godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. This is an incredible little letter that Paul has written to the church at Colossae and told them to pass on to the church at Laodicea. They're not that far apart. Uh, but he's making sure, he's giving him some encouragement. And I love that in those 10 verses, there's no condemnation. There's encouragement, there's warning, there's acknowledgement of what he sees in them and how they're doing, but there's no condemnation here. But he's preparing them for what is a serious issue uh, that will come on, and, and you'll see later how relevant that is. See, the weeks that we had apart were not a vacation for this pastor, as it was for Paul to be apart from the church at Colossae. Because I still have to be concerned, how are y'all doing in Christ? How are you hanging on? You have the onslaught of the world on you, but how are you hanging on? Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have. Uh, I'd be curious, Ed, read that verse for us out of your living Bible. Let's see how they put that word conflict. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Colossians in the Bible, which is a six, six book collection of God's Word. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish you could know how much I have struggled in prayer for you and for the church at Laodicea. Laodicea, sorry. Yeah, no worries. That's good enough. What was the word that was used in place of conflict? Struggle. Struggle. Okay. And this word, um, the Greek word actually that is the base for this is the word agony or the word that we translate into English, agony. 
Um, the word conflict is good. The word struggle is good. Uh, in First Colossians or First Thessalonians two two, the word is contention is how it's translated. Uh, in First Timothy six twelve. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul uses the same Greek word in a context of to fight. And in Hebrews 12, 1, it is used in a Pauline. I don't know the, the author is Paul, but it's very Pauline in its nature. And the author in chapter 12, verse 1, uses it for the word race. And they all bring together what the, the word I believe is to uh, should be for us to understand is it captures the struggle, the effort, the focus, uh, the dedication that's required to compete and to capture the victory in an athletic event. Paul was writing in nature, and he often does, about fighting, about struggling, about running the race. He uses that metaphor, he uses that allusion to an athletic event. Um, if you have somebody that's never practiced in their life and they come out, their shoes are untied and they're wearing their blue jeans and old knit shirt and they're going to run the 40-yard dash at an Olympic level, how do you think they're going to do? They shouldn't even compete, really, right? Because at the Olympic level, the people that line up on the blocks to run that 40, they've got like four seconds five seconds to prove everything they've got. Every fiber of their body has to be focused on that. They don't look up in the stands and see what, you know, popcorn's being sold or if there's hot dogs over there for sale later. Their entire focus has to be on the block, on the finish line that's ahead. Their focus has to be on it. It's a struggle. It's a conflict. It, it takes agony. It takes a push to stay there. Paul says you, he's trying to get across to the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. He says, listen, even though I'm not there with you, you can't see I'm laboring for you. I am laboring for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm running for you. I'm struggling for you. I want you to succeed and I'm putting my effort in to helping you succeed in that. It's, it's a measure of Paul's dedication. It's a measure of Paul's investment in them as believers we all should have that investment in each other it shouldn't be an easy thing to watch a believer walk away from jesus christ it shouldn't be an easy thing for us to accept when someone decides to turn their back on christ that should be the utmost struggle. You say, well, aren't you getting a little serious there? You know, because, you know, Paul's just, he's just making sure they're going to church. No, that's not at all what he's doing. It has nothing to do with what he's doing. That's an outgrowth of what he's talking about. That's, a, that's a, an effect that happens because of what he's trying to focus their attention on. And it's really important. Society has an idea today and it's really sad because I believe it's from the pit of hell, is that everybody gets a trophy. And have you seen that? They want to eliminate competition because we don't want to hurt anybody's psyche. So we can't acknowledge that the one who ran the race well and won gets acknowledged. We just have to give everybody a participation trophy and we diminish 
the value of the effort put in, the struggle, the conflict, the agony that it takes to push. Everybody says, well, you know, we all just want to sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And everybody get a little trophy. No, if you read through God's word, it's a struggle. To run the race, we're encouraged by the crowd of witnesses. That verse, Hebrews 12. There's a great cloud of witnesses that are urging us on, urging us to fight a good fight, to run a good race, to stick to the battle. It's a battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Guard yourself up with armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to sit in your rocking chair and work the remote control with the best of them. No, it says that you might be able to fight and stand and having put on the armor, still stand. And even when the battle's done, you're still standing. It's because you've fought the battle and God's armor worked. So nowhere in God's word is there this idea that you can just be, you know, I'm just going to be lapsadaisical, lay on my backside, Christian person, and I'm just, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is going to pour out all his blessings on me, and that's all it is. Satan's idea is there's no effort required. There's, everybody's rewarded. And that comes from the attitude, me first, me all, me most. The thinking that is in our society prevalent today. Is I want it. It's mine. I deserve it. Give it to me. I, I deserve it. There's a good reason Paul starts here. Does the word Laodicea come up in your mind at all? Regardless of how you pronounce it. Revelation. Oh! Revelation! Well, let's go to Revelation for a second. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14, by the way, I did not uh, prompt her to do that. She did that all on her own. She's, she's not a, what do they call it, a shill? Or, or sh <laughs> you know, someone you put in the audience to uh, pop up and go, oh, yeah, I have an idea. That's, no, that's not Lori. She's a smart girl. She's a smart girl and she knows. Yeah, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Let's check out what happens in Laodicea in the letters to the churches that Christ is talking about. And maybe we'll understand why Paul was so focused on making sure they had a good start and a good finish. Not just a good start and lay back. Not just a good start and work a little bit, but a good start, a good race, a good finish. So here we are. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Those are important things to recognize. Those are attributes of Christ. Those are attributes of God. And that is the nature of God. This is Christ writing the letter. 15. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. 
As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit on with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the book of Revelation, is the Laodicean church doing well? Not at all. Not at all. You know what kind of attitude they have? A socialistic, apathetic, complacent attitude of participation trophies. You know, I'm okay. I'm good. I go to church. I'm okay. I sing a hymn. I'm okay. I'm doing fine. It's a terrible... Christ can't get any tougher than when he says the words because you're lukewarm. He says, I wish you were cold because then I could address your coldness. I wish you were hot because then I could praise your effort. But instead, you're in the middle. You're in this mixed up. You're not lost. You're not saved. You're just, you're just wishy-washy. You're just floating around. It's tepid water. It's, it's nasty. And, and that's actually drawn from, there's a stream up in Laodicea's area that has tepid water. It's not cold water. It's like influenced by some stream, some uh, volcanic flows, and uh, the water is just nasty. It's just in between that flowed into the city for their water supply. So if you went to Laodicea and you were hot and thirsty and you said, boy, I'm going to pull me a tap water and I'm going to get me a nice little cool drink of Sterling City tap water. Well, if you're in Laodicea, you're going to drink it and go, ooh, this is nasty. That tepid, that's what he's using as a, as a backdrop to that picture. So back to Colossians. There's a good reason why Paul is talking like this. Is Paul's concern, do you think it's church attendance? Does he want to make sure the church at Colossae and Laodicea have an uh, adequate number of members so that it looks good, you know, when the pastor goes to a conference? Oh, yeah, my church has 200 people. <laughs> I always go for the pews, by the way. How big is your church? Well, there's nine pews, and it's about, I don't know, 1,200 square feet. People <laughs> kind of look at me weird. I said, well, you asked about the church. I mean, you, you, were you talking about the people? You know, because they always want to measure with numbers of people. You know, that's just a human nature thing. I have more than you got. No, he is set on, verse 2, he's set on encouraging their heart. It's not superficial. It's not just a pat on the back. He wants to encourage them at the deepest level. He wants to see that they are knit together in love, not just love, 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 that, that, that accepts sin. He's talking about Christ's love, which we just read about in Revelation. Those who Christ loves, he chastens. disciplines, we'll use a newer word, chastens, disciplines, and rebukes. Imagine that. You know what happens if a child 
is never disciplined and never corrected? Proverbs tells us it's not a guess. The child will hate its parent. You're like, wait, I gave them everything they wanted. <clears throat> Proverbs says it and it happens and it's true. It's God's word. It came from God. That's wisdom from God. You don't correct your child. You don't rebuke your child when they're doing something wrong. They will hate you. The thing you wanted the most, acceptance from your child, it's a sorry substitute for true love. Correct a child, and they'll come to respect and to understand the wisdom of God. They'll see Christ in you, especially as a Christian parent. That is where our discipline comes from, is God's word. God's, God's correction in our life becomes an example to them. Becomes something that they understand. He says, I want you to attain... The third thing, I want you to attain all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. The full assurance of understanding. I would dare say that there is very little that uh, is given in our world in the terms of worldly understanding that provides full assurance. The one that comes to mind, um, just because there's been so many, is in the world of food. And uh, when the government decided and, uh, that they would work on the margarine uh, promotion and they sold everybody those white blocks of margarine, hydrogenated uh, oils and a little packet of carrageen, uh, carrot-based coloring so you could stir it in to make it butter colored. And they said, this is it. Because butter kills you. And the cholesterol in butter is going to kill you. So you got to follow this plan. Because some scientists had cracked uh, hydrogenated oil and made it solidified. And so now we have that through all of our food chain, everything. And guess what they found in later years? You know, eggs are actually good for you. Butter's better than margarine. You know, it's amazing how that works. Science. science, it's the science. So he says, I want you to attain all the riches of the full assurance of understanding is understanding. Now, where do you find that? Where does that come from? What kind of knowledge, what kind of understanding are we talking about? Well, he tells us the knowledge of the mystery of God, the father and Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I will put it like this, and you may not agree, but that's fine. You can disagree. That which is worth knowing in this world is of God. And that's it. Folks say, well, well, well you got to send your kid to college. You got to get a degree. They got to go get a university. They got to get a doctorate. They got to become wise and what? Hey, wisdom apart from God is not wisdom. It's foolishness. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. I will tell you that as, at this point in my life, as I look back, if you can apply everything that's in God's word, 
Let me, let me make it even smaller. If you can apply just the wisdom that is in one book of God's word, Proverbs, to your life and live your life upon that, you know enough. Oh, but I don't know Pythagorean's theorem. Well, it's probably in the Bible too. Pi r squared is in the Bible. The mathematical relationship of pi r squared that gives you the area of a circle based on its diameter or vice versa or circumference is in the Bible. The labor that they would wash their hands in, the dimensions are both given to you and the, the mathematical relationship between the two is there that was later formulated by man and brought out in math class as pi r squared. And the farmer, when his kid came home from school, the kid, he says, what'd you learn? The kid said, pi r squared. Guy says, I ain't paying for you to go to that stupid school anymore. Everybody knows apple pie is round. <laughs> Everybody knows that. What Paul has a concern, and I think the same concern is valid in our life, in our time right now. And the concern was false teachers. They promised special knowledge. They promised a secret decoder ring. They promised secret wisdom. And in that effect, or to accomplish that effect, they used philosophy and empty deceit. They used the tradition of man, as it says down there in verse 8. What Paul is opening up to the believer, and I hope you can grab a hold of it, is that understanding is all the essential, all the best, all the necessary things in life we need to know in knowledge and wisdom is from God and through Christ. Amen. All truth originates from God. All deception originates with Satan's twist on God's truth. Satan doesn't have original stuff. Satan takes something God made good and Satan twists it up and sells it and packages it and repackages it and he puts it out there. Verse 4, he tells us why. He says, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. It's all about the noise. It's all about the promotion. It's all about the write-up. It's all about the words that are on there. Uh, Lori and uh, Faith were making, or Ram, were making some uh, slime. It's an Elmer's slime kit. And uh, they bought it at Savemore, which means it's probably been there since Savemore was holiday, which was like 15 years ago. But it's probably that old of a kit. And uh, what was interesting is it said, take uh, one thing of slime glue and uh, six ounce fluid ounce and put it in a bowl and then put two teaspoons of secret Elmer's magic liquid stuff into there, stir it up, and it's going to make it hard and everything else. Well, they did it. Well, it turns out that they made a mistake because it's supposed to be tablespoon. You need two tablespoons of the magic liquid to make it turn into slime. Or else it's just a gooey mess that sticks to everything. It's glue. And uh, Lori's going through, and she goes, wait, this isn't right. And she went through, but boy, the advertising says it. It's right there printed on the label. It's got to be gospel, right? No, it's amazing what people will believe because it came on a shiny brochure. If you got, did anybody, has anybody in their life ever gone to a timeshare sales promotion? <laughs> okay. Well, they promise you to get you there. Free vacation. 
free TV, free this or that. You just need to sit through our 45-minute uh, promotional seminar. Those guys are experts at overcoming every obstacle, every op uh, opposition you have, and they'll convince you that you could sell one of your children and buy a timeshare, and it'd be the best thing in your world. Persuasive words. They don't show you the nitty-gritty of going to a timeshare room that someone used the week before you and made a mess and it didn't get cleaned up. They don't show you all the realities of life in a building as it ages and your investment decreases in, in value. They don't show you that. They show you a shiny brochure picture of you swinging a golf club on this perfectly manicured lawn or swimming in a pool that's sparkling blue or everybody is smiling. Everybody in their pictures is smiling. No one has a bad day. What they're selling you is the persuasive word idea is that if you buy what they're selling, your life will be better. You'll feel better. You, everything will be perfect. All of your troubles will go away. Is that a reality? Absolutely not. Because they have entire groups right now that are dedicated to helping you get rid of your timeshare. Because you were locked into a contract and you couldn't figure out what to do with it. And they have it written so tight that, you know, you end up, a lot of folks just end up trade their week off or do whatever. You just can't sell it. It's not worth what it was. Persuasive words. Persuasive words. It's interesting. Man does this. We hear this in our world today. It's the science. And they portray science. Um, uh, they miss the whole concept. Science is questioning everything. True science is to question everything. It's to create a hypothesis and then prove the hypothesis through experimentation and questioning. Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? Why did it do that? Why did it do that? And to get to the bottom line. It's not just say, okay, this is science because we said so. We've had that happen before in our world and it didn't work out so well. Um, what was the drug called that they gave women to help them with uh, labor that created... Um, oh, my goodness. Just... Yes. The one. Um, the, they had kids with no arms and legs. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. Thalidomide was the drug. Yes. Way back in the days. Yeah. Oh, this would be it. Mm. It was a nausea. It was supposed to be an anti nausea. They gave it to pregnant women at the beginning of pregnancy because of nausea. Yeah. yeah. It's the science. Right. It's the science. That didn't work out so well. What's interesting is that science that ignores the creator and worships the creation will always end up in disaster. Uh, let me take you to Romans chapter one real quick. And I'll illustrate that direct opposition that happens. For since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, 
but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And it continues on about how that works out, how man's ideas change. It brings us a lot of the things that we have in our society today. We got a call uh, just the other night and uh, they told us um, a person had gone to throw themselves in front of a car. They wanted to end their life. And the boyfriend called and said, or yeah, the boyfriend called and said, hey, this person uh, tried to jump in front of a car. I stopped her, him or her or whatever. And, um, and so can you guys come help? And so, you know, of course our dispatcher said, okay, well, who is it? Got a name. And then the person says, oh yeah, by the way, their chosen pronoun is they, and they get really mad if someone doesn't use their chosen pronoun. Okay, cool. Now I want you to think about that in context. I am distraught, and I want to end my life. I try to throw myself in front of a car, but by golly, if you call me by him or her, I'm going to get mad. Does anybody else see the utter futility in that? It is amazing. It, if your life is on the line, you call me, hey, Bubba, <laughs> I'll be okay. But they were upset. They were going to be upset if the, the de responding deputy came out and didn't say they. I don't even know how you put a sentence together when you're talking. Yeah, well, I guess you can't use you because I don't know. So what you do is you just walk up and go, sup? <laughs> Paul. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen was in a, at a restroom in a Paradise where they had men's restrooms and ones for the women, and they had the other. And I was always wondering what they say about the When someone comes into the jail, the, the nurse has to ask them a list of questions um, just so they have the person's information or whatever. And one of the questions is, is, how do you identify? And there's a list of over 19 different potential identifications. Male, female, um, non-binary, extraterrestrial. Um, I always want to add one at the bottom, just put stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, go ahead. I went into my booster COVID vaccine and I had to fill out the questionnaire. It says, what was your sex at birth? And they made it simple. Yeah, yeah, you have to ask contextual questions. Oh, my goodness. So, and, and, and that actually is a, a beautiful segue because let me explain how we see this at work in our world today. Let me uh, read to you Revelation chapter 13. 
verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from the heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both great and small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understand has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, there's some interesting components in this chapter right here. First, we see something that's universal. We see something that encompasses all the world. All the world. Rich or poor, small or great, Whoever it is, y'all have to comply. The cost of non-compliance is what? Can't buy or sell. Can't buy or sell. Now, I know some of you have been vaccinated, and some of us are not. I will tell you this. I'm not talking about whether you decided to go get a shot. What I'm talking about is we have a world right now that is moving towards their vaccine passport. A mark by which you may not buy or sell. You can't go a place if you don't have it. And it's interesting that most people carry that in their phone or their hand and they hold out their hand to show their passport. And then they're swiped across the forehead to get their temperature checked as they go in. And again, the component is buy or sell. Now, am I saying that is the mark of the beast? No. What I'm saying is, is look at God's word and look at the wisdom behind what they're selling. mRNA, according to a Swiss study, has pierced the nucleus of the cell, although it was not supposed to. It has pierced the nucleus of the cell where the DNA is and is changing DNA. There are numerous vaccine adverse effects that have happened. I, as a deputy, have seen them myself, dead bodies, shortly after receiving their vaccine. Healthy, dead bodies, shortly after. You have to make your own choice about what you put into your body. But I can tell you there is something behind this. If 1% of the people die from this disease, this virus, this thing. There are people who gamble with odds that are 50,000 to one. That's bad odds. But a 1% death rate 
in control. They say, oh, it's the science. Oh, I would contend that man has lost sight of what God's creation is. As soon as man can pull out a single brain cell and extract from it the vision, the picture that was recorded on that brain cell in every detail that you see it in your mind, then you got something you can tell me about. Man can't do that. Man goes into the brain and they go, oh man, if I touch this section, the left hand wiggles. If I touch this section, they go blind. If I do this, that, man has mapped out some areas. They got no clue about how that white matter holds an electronic signal that is actually the visualization of what went through your optic nerve into your brain and eye and the ears into your head. And you can recall the memory and the tone and the note and the, sm the smell, the scent of something. And it's recorded inside your brain. Man has no idea how that works. They're playing God, and they're playing God very badly. And what's interesting is if it was just bad science like margarine or tab or diazinon or thamlita or whatever that thing you said, or what was the love canal? Does anybody remember the love canal? What was, the, what was the drug in there? What's the junk they sprayed for fruit flies? No, malathion. Oh, sure, we're going to run helicopters. It's the science, folks. We got to get rid of the fruit fly. So we're going to spray everybody with malathion. Oops. <laughs> Turns out that malathion is a cancer-causing agent. Turns out it causes all kinds of problems. So science, though, ran out there. Science, uh, Monsanto, has created lots of wonderful science. You can get 300 bushels of corn per acre out of a field. Unfortunately, it will also grow you a third kidney if you want it. You know, there, there's some problems where science has not done really well in our world. Do you know the uh, radium? Has anybody ever heard this story of radium? Uh, they have the radium girls. They worked in a factory. They had these tiny little uh, brushes. And they would, you know, lick them on their lip to get the, the tip of them just fine. And they would dip them in radium power, powder and they would paint and they would paint the numbers on your watch because that was a big deal back then is you would have illuminated numbers on your watch. It was the glow of radium. And they just couldn't figure out why all the people in the factory kept dying. You can, uh, on, I think the special is on Netflix. It's a movie. Yeah, they made a movie out of it. Uh, but it was a real deal. <laughs> the girls died and the death rate, the cancer rate was huge, but it's safe. That's what they said. That's what the company said. It's the science. It's safe. We've looked into it. As a, as a result of that, there's organizations, uh, OSHA, uh, Cal OSHA, that's supposed to look into a lot of those things that don't look into everything that they should. So do I say, oh my goodness, you did this or you didn't do that? No, uh, you make your own choice about what you put into your body. But I would consider the big picture. What's going on here? Six billion people uh, forced and or given or and or accepted something that now we see it in Canada, we see it in Australia, is you'll actually go to prison. You'll go to a concentration camp. You'll be segregated like, who did that? Wait, wait, I'm having a memory flash. Germany. What? Germany. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, but it was for good reason because the people that they were talking about, according to the science, those people carried disease and germs into society. That was printed literature out of Germany. You know what that group of people was? Germans. German Jews. It was the Jewish people in that country. And you know what? Regular, normal people like us sat around and go, oh, well, it was the science. It was okay. But I say anything that comes with this connection, I told Chris earlier, I said, you know, if they told you, man, if you don't get this, uh, your left foot's going to fall off. Well, you know, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll think about my left foot a little bit. The minute they say something and make it a condition that's something in God's word that was written 2,000 years ago, I'm like, ding, 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 don't the red lights go off? People have always asked, how in the world will they get the whole world to come together? How in the world will they do something that's global, not just in the United States? How would they get everybody to have some kind of a mark? And you know what they sell it on? The basis of fear. It's on the basis of fear. Boy, if you don't get this, you're going to... This shot, and these are direct quotes from our highest authority in the land. This shot will stop you from getting COVID. Guess what the science says now? Oh, well, no, it won't. This shot, here's the new word. This shot will keep you out of the hospital. How's that working out? Doesn't work. This shot will keep you from dying. Well, that hasn't worked out so well either. Fact is, a lot of people are dying all over the place. Go, go ahead, Paul. You keep raising your hand. Doggone it. I'm in the middle of something here. Well, biblically, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're subject to getting all the diseases everybody else does, but we have the Lord to take care of us. Uh, in the Word, we have, you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt you, but we don't want to tempt God and start drinking poison, but we, we can make a stand if somebody tries to poison us that we, we can overcome that through the Lord, you know, that mm -hmm. it's not going to kill us or injure us. Same when, when the viper or whatever snake that was, the Apostle Paul, they were waiting for him to die almost immediately, and he didn't die. You know, God, he took it up into the fireplace, and he was okay. Uh, so we have some privileges that, of being, or that we know the Lord and we're serving the Lord, and that we can make a stand, and so in this in time when all kinds of evil is hitting us, you know, from every direction, but we make a stand and love the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in our heart, God lets us overcome a lot of the stuff that's going to happen to the world, you know. Let, let me put it in different, uh, same, same thought, different respect. Who's in charge? God's in charge. Is he waiting to figure out when you're going to die? No. This is biblical. Biblical. I'm talking from biblical basis. What proof do you have that he's not waiting to figure out when you're going to die? He says he knows the number of our days before we were ever born, before we were conceived. God knows. God knows. So I got to tell you, if you die, I'm not going to be shocked. Because it's not going to be an accident. You know, we use that term. As coroners, it's part of my job. Coroner deputy, that's what I do is part of my job is they have this term accidental death. And I'm always thinking to myself, nope, <laughs> it was going to happen. You know, you're not dodging that. But 
What I caution you, what I'm like Paul, as I'm trying to do, and I'm probably not doing it in a really great manner, is like Paul, I'm trying to caution you because there is a day coming when worship will be combined with the requirement to receive something or show something or have something that will be the mark of the beast. You say, oh, no, 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 I'd never, I'd never. But how easily did fear persuade you? that you had to line up for this? How much pressure was put upon you? How many persuasive words have been in, oh, even Instagram, Facebook, everybody, that they started tagging any post that had the word vaccine with a thing, go to the vaccine center and get the truth, get the information. There is a worship that's going on here. It's not a mandate that thou shalt bow down, but it's more subtle. And it's more subversive. Now what I'm telling you is pay attention. You make your decision on your medical thing. You choose what you will do. If you don't like the fact there might be someone in church that's unvaccinated, well, I'm sorry. You'll have to go figure that out on your own. You do that on yourself. I trust in God. And I'm sticking with God. And I like his definition of science, not man's. Now, the heart of the message comes right here. And I hope I didn't set you apart by that. The heart of the message is knowing all that stuff out there, knowing all of the challenges in life. Paul says, I have struggled for you. I'm struggling for you. I'm trying to make sure I'm doing the best I can to encourage you to get God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's understanding and he says, this is the way it's going to happen. This is the key to life. It's in verse 6. Life physical and life eternal. By the way, in our world, all the stuff um, that's going on right now, what's interesting is they're selling you the idea of life or death. Our president said it. For you unvaccinated, you're looking forward to a winter of sickness and illness and death. Do you know who he was talking to? 25% of America. Are those words that should have ever come out of a president's mouth? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's a sad statement on that. No, Paul, can't do this now. No. But I'll tell you what this relates to. Yeah, I'm trying to hurry for another reason. What this relates to is what has become the goal in our world, what is man's goal? It always has been, is eternal temporal life. Is I want to live here forever. I want to live on the earth forever. I want mine. I, I want the best I can have. I want it for free. I want it cheaper. There are so many jobs out there right now. People will not go work because they can stay home and get free more money being on welfare. Their jobs that cannot fit every restaurant. Go to Mijo's. It kills me because I like their food. And there's a the thing up there. Bring your resume in. Hiring right now. If you want to work, you can have a job. You can have something to do. But there's a ton of people I run into every day don't have it. Back to the heart of the message. Paul is not talking about eternal, temporal life on this earth. Paul is talking about a heavenly reality in eternal life in Jesus Christ. So, verse 6. Um, 
As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So as you have received him, sets the condition, the basis of how you received him. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, how you received him was through his grace. What is grace? Quickly. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. His power. You didn't go to the cross. He did. You didn't conquer death. He did. You didn't overcome death and hell. He did. Okay? His power. His love. What kind of love was that? That he unconditionally applied for all of us. That in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love. That's the basis of our salvation. His love. His grace. His power. His love. It's his salvation. And what that does is it eliminates our worthiness, our weakness, our failed love, and our works trying to accomplish something we could never accomplish. You can never accomplish perfection. Christ, perfection himself, accomplished perfection and salvation. So he says, as you have received him. So it takes away our thinking that we're the top dog. It takes away, oh, well, I'm going to be the most spiritual guy I can be. No, you're going to be utterly dependent on Christ because through him you receive life. You're going to need that constant Christ in you. You didn't suddenly become someone separated from him. How to walk then? Rooted in him, built up in him. These compose a, a picture that Paul's using of a tree. Same thing we talk about in Psalm 52. Same thing we talk about in Psalm 1. Same thing I was talking about in Revelation, the two olive trees before the throne of God. Same thing that's used in Scripture throughout is this illustration of a tree as a light. Is a tree that's been uprooted and just stuck over on the blacktop going to survive? Absolutely not. Is a tree that's cut off from water going to survive? Absolutely not. Is a tree that has no nourishment and is planted in rocks with no soil and no way to get those nutrients, is that tree going to survive? No, it's not going to do it. So Paul says there's something here. Is you're rooted in him. You've got to have a right start. It's got to be the good seed. It's got to be God's word. It's got to be planted in good soil. We know the illustration Jesus had of the seeds falling on different types of soil. He says, then you got to be built up in him. That means you need right nourishment. You need good food. You need good water. You need a continuous draw, and you need the fellowship of God's church. Good food, living bread, living water. Where does that come from? Christ. Christ. He is the bread of life. He's the nourishment of life. That, that God paints all these pictures through his word. It's incredible. We, we don't have time to go through all that. He says, as you've been taught, how are we taught? Well, we were taught, A, by Christ. Christ showed us to himself as he lived his life out on this earth. We're taught by God's word. And we're taught by God's spirit as well. And there is a huge danger uh, we're also taught through our fellowship together as a church. But we have to be careful because if we ever eliminate God's word and God's spirit and all we have is church fellowship, we end up as a social club 
And a social club without a foundation in Christ is, is nothing. We are, as a body of believers, only through the power and the leadership of Christ in our life. Not an individual group. Let me tell you how bad that can get. I was just reading about um, some kids. We're talking about their father, who's a Mormon. And he had had his second anointing. It's a ceremony where uh, somehow they received this extra dose of what they believe is the Holy Spirit. And sadly, um, the way they perceive it within the church, if you've had that second anointing, then you are sinless and you are unable to sin and you can do anything you want and it's not sin. And the reason these two children were talking about their father and the situation, he had held huge high positions, uh, not just ward level, not just this. He had been in the apostle and prophet. And if you knew the structure of the way the Mormon church is set up, uh, he was way up there, but he was a pedophile. That's why they were talking about it. And he justified it because he'd had his ceremonial second anointing. And so he could do anything he wanted to. Well, what was he doing? Well, without God's word, God's word tells us that's a problem, tells us that's perversion, tells us that's wrong. But you eliminate God's word and you just let man be celestial God by himself on this earth. You know what? He'll do something like that. He'll be a Mengele, chop up people. You know, they did that. That was science, by the way. It was science. It's okay, right? Joseph Mengele, you know that guy in Germany? Yeah, he, he, was, yeah, he killed lots of Jewish folks doing science. He wanted to see how long they could survive in ice water. You know, he wanted to cut their body off, see how many parts he could take out till they die and all kinds of genetic things that they were doing. Uh, uh, by the way, there's, we can't even go near the edge of this. There is a desire within groups of mankind to be able to go back to the, the time in Genesis when the sons of men or the sons of God came down and intermarried with the women and created the giants that were in the land. Nephilim. Chimera. Part human, part animal. Part human, part angel. No, but they're both. Chimera is the one that's part animal, part human. Uh, does anybody know what monoclonal antibodies are? It's a treatment. It's a treatment. Yeah, treatment you can get. Do you know how they derive those? They're chimera. They're human cells mated with mouse cells. It's It's science. We have chimera in our society now where they are mating human components and patching the DNA of animals into human DNA and vice versa to be able to create things. Now, what's, what's, what's involved there? Is man playing God, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. It's crazy. Oh, but nobody cares. It's science. Verse 8. Um, deceptions, characteristics. He says it's man's idea. And he's talking about two different things here, I believe. Greek philosophy and Jewish opinions. And uh, most of the rabbis, uh, Jesus, in fact, talked about Hillel and Shammai uh, in his day because they tried to pin him down. Is there a resurrection? If this guy had two wives, who's he going to marry in the afterlife? Who's he going to be? And Jesus set that completely aside. But they were trying to trap him within two rabbinical ideas. They're Jewish opinions. 
man's idea. This is confronted in the book of Galatians. This is dealt with in the book of Timothy, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Philippians. It is dealt with because apostasy, Peter deals with it in Peter. Jude deals with it in Jude. Christ dealt with it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is the idea of false teaching has always been man's idea because Satan promotes that. He says God's in something good. Well, let's just twist it a little bit and we make it better. Vain deceit is the other. Man's idea and vain deceit. Man's best improvement on God's ideas. Um, a beautiful example of this is fad diets. Uh, what is the goal of a diet? To lose weight. To lose weight. Um, I just saw one the other day. You can take this pill and no exercise required at all and you'll lose weight. I was thinking, what is it? Cyanide? <laughs> you'll lose weight really fast. I guarantee you, you you'll lose weight, you know, just laying there. You, your body will start dumping lymph fluids and, and water will flow out of you and you'll just dehydrate and you lose weight. Everybody's got this idea of perfection. You're going to live forever. Beauty treatments, spa treatments, all those things. Nothing wrong with them. You want to do a diet, do a diet. You want to go to the spa, go to the spa, do whatever. But if you think you're going to live forever because of it, you're deluding yourself. I to tell you, but unless Christ comes, and I'm praying he does, because it's getting ugly out there. The Bible's moving forward. We're looking, prophecies coming out. Uh, there are things happening. Russia, uh, Ukraine, that's going on right now. Russia, by the way, if they come out of the north to go down to Israel, and they're going to go attack down there, they have to come through the Ukraine. They have to overthrow that. They have to be able to pass through that area to come out of the north. If you've read your Bible, Ezekiel 38 and 39, you'll see there's movement going on right now that is absolutely in line with God's word. It's always happened. And we go, oh, not in my lifetime. Yeah, oh yeah, maybe. Uh, Paul said, you know, this vain deceit. He says, we are under bondage. As children, we're under bondage to the elements of this world. We have superstition. We have tradition. We have belief. We have all these ideas not anchored in God's truth. We, our, our world is promoting right now rapidly and, and uh, aggressively this idea that you sexually can be anything you want to be and there's no harm to it whatsoever. And do you remember the argument when Prop 8, I think it was 8, came through? And they were talking about marriage between homosexuals and how it was just a wonderful thing. You know what the next thing that only took about a year to come out? Well, what if we want to have marriage between five homosexuals or five straight people or five whatevers? And, and we want to marry our animals. We should be able to marry the animals. And the man loves society. We should be able to have sexual relations with kids. It's no big deal. We just love each other. It's love. Where did that come from? Man's idea. Man's idea. But, you know, and, and again, sin is sin is sin is sin. That seems like a worse sin. It's not. There's a lot of sin. Anger is a sin. Right there alongside of that. Rage. Jealousy. It's the same sins. Gossip. Same sin. Oh, no, no, no. This one's got to be a lot worse. In God's eyes. They're all an aberration against him. They're all against him. 
We have to remain anchored. We have to remain rooted. We got to have that constant flow of Christ in us. We need to be taught by Christ every day. Um, the capstone, really, uh, Paul brings in the last part of this here. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. All principality and power. All principality and power. Why am I repeating that? Because I really, 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 really want you to get the idea that no matter how important the world seems, no matter how important the idea is, Christ is still the head. God is still in charge. By his grace, by his love, by his power, by his gift of salvation, we have been granted eternal life. We have been granted forgiveness from sin. But we still got a struggle. It's still going to be a struggle. It's going to be a race that you got to run. Every day there's going to be a challenge to that. Every day there's going to be something that's going to pop up. Just about time you think I got it made. You're going to think, man, what happened? You're going to get blindsided. But God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient. God's word is sufficient to give us the warning that we need to look, to pay attention, to be able to evaluate. We need to be familiar with God's word. And when we hear words such as buy or sell, it should immediately draw us to something to say, wait, where did that come from? Where did that come from? We, history has shown us over and over again man's ideas. It's always the same. Satan ain't got nothing new under the sun. You can look back. Same thing happened in Germany. It's happening right now in Australia. It's just a different group of people right now. But what if the identity changes from vaccinated to Christian? What then? How quick will things go? Unvaccinated to Christian. Whatever it is. And again, I'm not talking about whether you chose to get a shot or not. Personally, if it was a dead virus vaccine, I'd have no problem with it medically myself. But the fact that it's mRNA, which the originator of that was in 2013 in terms of a medical practice, and they have not explored and without any due diligence have delved into the fullness of what happens when you introduce a message into the DNA system. And now that it's pierced the nucleus of the cell, you have potential for all kinds of things to go wrong. And a man does not understand. You know in a single cell nucleus, you have over seven feet of DNA. If it's pulled out of the nucleus, it's folded all in there. One cell has over seven feet of DNA strand in a single cell of your body. So do we understand cellular level? I don't. I, I may bring in a video, we may watch it sometime, of a Christian guy that's a scientist that studies the human genome. And it was before all this junk started that's going on right now. But uh, he goes through the cell and just lays out some of the uh, mapping and some of the intricate nature of the relationships 
between DNA, mRNA, between um, uh, amino acids and just how the cell functions. And it, it will blow your mind what goes on on a single cell of your body. Not a brain cell, just a single little cell of your body. It's ability that God created to recognize attack, to recognize something outside. Um, unfortunately, uh, some of the, well, we ain't got time for all that. Let's pray. <laughs> it's time for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the challenges from your word. Thank you for the comfort and the encouragement from your word. Lord, as we remember the sacrifice that has made all this possible for our salvation, for our life in you, I pray that you would uh, be honored, you would be glorified through our hearts right now, and Lord, that we may please you in all that we say and do. You are a great God, and you've given us so much, and we don't want to ever take that for granted. So I ask that you would just cleanse our hearts, Lord. If there's something that's against you, if there's something that would cause you to, to be disappointed in us, that you would um, help us to remove that from our lives, help us to change our heart in that. And Lord, just be honored by us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I've made life a little easier. You have your choice. If you want to wrestle the little cups, you're good to go. But, Paul, look, I got you the regular old. There you go. Very good. There you go. I never was good at puzzles. Okay. Thank you. So you can do either way you want. If you're good at the little ones, you can take those open. Then you can do whatever you like. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Appreciate your powerful message. God's word is powerful. That's right. I'm merely blessed to be able to speak. Lazy. I think that's the wise one. Those other ones are a challenge. They are. All right. All right. Reading from First Corinthians, uh, chapter eleven, verse. 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the Lord's body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, as we have this opportunity this second day of the year to come before you and to remember as you ordered us to, as you commanded us to, to remember your sacrifice. We remember your grace, your mercy, your power, your strength, 
your love, your salvation, your presence in our lives. And we say thank you. We say thank you so much for loving us. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Proclaiming Christ's death till he returns. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's sing our little uh, song. We don't have any kids here today, unfortunately, the weights of this world and, and colds and, and uh, things people have to do. They've, uh, they've grabbed all my grandkids today, so uh, I'm missing them. Yeah, Ramsey uh, is eight today, and uh, we're going to go down and have a little celebratory uh, time with her uh, skating rink. And I'm not skating, and I'm not letting Lori go skating either, because I don't want to have to carry her up the hill through the snow and into the house. But, uh, let's just sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Lord, I pray that you just take us from this place with your safety, with your hand upon us. Uh, keep each tire uh, glued to the pavement. And uh, Lord, just... Bless our lives with your presence and your power every moment of every day. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us this time together. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us today who couldn't make it for whatever reason. Lord, just deal in their hearts, deal uh, with their troubles, with their trials, whatever's going on. Just let them see your glory today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I love you guys. And I hope uh, you take the heart of the message and know that this pastor loves you. I'm trying to recall the story that, you know, I used to race motorcycles in the desert. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And so, when I went to these national ones, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to trophy. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. The, uh, you know, I didn't have a chance. But to get a finisher thing, if you did finish. Yeah. Well, that's an achievement by itself. Yes, that's yeah. an achievement by itself. Yeah. But, and you had to do it within an hour of the time finish, or you right, didn't right. get one. Right, right. But some club thought it was a great idea. Hey, you know, we can make a little money by selling All the help because that diminishes the value of the whole thing. Exactly. Yes. When they did that with uh, participation trophies for kids and, and, and soccer, it just killed me. We're going to play soccer, but we're not going to count the goals. Okay, so what you're saying is, is this is not soccer. What this is, is this is just, let's just go play kickball, is all you're doing. Why have teams? Why have trophies? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you take care, Ed. Drive careful.